Perhaps the biggest reason why founders don't want to raise more capital is they don't want to lose voting control of their company. But that's actually a really bad reason, because if your company needs the capital, then you have a fiduciary responsibility to raise the capital. Welcome back to Digital Health Entrepreneurship Daily with Lawrence Girard, myself, Seth Silvers, and the wonderful Lee Black. Today, we are talking about mistakes that entrepreneurs, that startups make when raising money. Lawrence, you seem to have some opinions on this because you're kind of always raising money. And so tell us about what are some of these mistakes that people run into when they're raising money as a startup? Well, you know, the classic mistake is that they raise money from venture capital firms, but we already covered that on another episode because I think that healthcare startups should just raise money from physicians. Right. But aside from that mistake, which we've talked about on the show before, I think one of the biggest mistakes they make is, you know, arguing over the valuation of, you know, five versus six million, for example. And, you know, they turn down a million dollars because of that, um, you know, things like that. Um, I think that in general, though, I, I just think it's ridiculous when these companies stop fundraising, right? I mean, if you think about the amount of capital it takes to become a public company, you are talking about traditionally hundreds of millions of dollars, right? So the traditional school of thought is like, okay, I'm going to raise a million dollars at a $5 million valuation or on a convertible note. I'm going to build my product, make a bunch of progress, but I'm going to stop fundraising until I reach that milestone. And only then am I going to raise more money because I'll be able to get a higher valuation. So they'll kind of raise some money and make some progress and then raise some money again because they think they can get a higher valuation. But you know, there's other things that you can do. Like if you don't want to dilute your cap table, you can just go to individual investors and ask them for debt financing where like I have doctors that give us loans and we pay them back at 10% interest, you know? Um, and so you know, if you're trying to like turn a startup into a billion dollar company, which is what you should be trying to do if you're taking venture capital money, you should be able to deploy tens of millions of dollars, right? Hire more software engineers, invest more money into marketing to grow your revenue, start a podcast to build your personal brand. I mean, there's so many things that a startup can use capital for. And it's not an instant process for most people. Like I've really perfected it, but for most people, I mean, you got to be fundraising six months in advance of when you need to close your rounds. So, and, and why do startups fail? There's many reasons why they fail, but like one of the biggest reasons they fail is they just run out of money to execute their ideas. Other, you know, there's other reasons like they have a bad product, they have a bad business model, they have a bad management team, but there's a lot of great products with great management teams that simply fail because they didn't raise enough capital. So, I mean, for many CEOs that are doing it the right way, fundraising is almost their full-time job. Hmm. Is there a job for fundraising like that's in the, in the VC startup world? You know, is, do people just have fundraiser on their LinkedIn profile and that's it? I mean, CEOs should probably relabel their job title as that. But, yeah. but huh. um, I mean, you know, the CFO, you would think that one of the main jobs of a CFO in a startup growth stage company should be to present the financial model 
to investors and explain it to them so that they think that the company's valuation is fair. Um, so I think CEO, CFO, those are definitely jobs where, you know, they're probably going to be spending 50% of their time fundraising. But I mean, in our company, we have mid-level people that their only job is to fundraise. I mean, obviously we also have dozens of software engineers that work for us. We have salespeople, we have marketing people, right? So like the entire company is not doing it, but let's say 10% of your company, their full-time job is fundraising. Well, that helps to raise the capital to support everybody else in an early stage company that might not have tons of revenue. Um, you know, and obviously the goal is eventually that the revenue picks up and starts covering the expenses of the company. But um, fundraising is just such a critical piece of the puzzle um, that I just, I think the startups don't focus enough on it. Hmm. Here's, a, here's a question. This is not meant to be a gotcha question, but is it possible to raise too much money? Is that ever a problem? Well, Yes. I mean, the answer is definitely yes, but it's so specific to the situation. Okay. I mean, if you read like the headlines in the news and like TechCrunch and these tech magazines, like they talk a lot about raising too much money. And it's true that if you raise too much money, that it is possible that it distracts you from really doing the stuff where rubber meets the road. So like, are people really using your product? Are you really generating revenue? Hmm. You know, what are your unit economics? Um, and so it is possible that it can distract you from like actually doing the real business, which is customers buying your product and using your product. Hmm. But I don't think that it automatically does that if you've structured your company correctly, where there's people that are the VP of product and that is their only job. And then you have other people that are in charge of fundraising, right? So it's just about having clear job responsibilities. Hmm. Um, and it depends. Like I'm lucky enough or skilled enough to have, you know, full voting control of my company. If I didn't have full voting control of my company, well, maybe I wouldn't want to dip over a completely different situation. Right. Where you really have to think about that voting control. That is a completely different situation. Huh. But you know, that's why I think founders should have full voting control of their company. So that the reason why they don't want to raise more capital is not because they want to lose voting control of their company. If you think about it. I think a big reason creation that um, some investors you know, might embark upon. You have 100% of voting control. Do investors ever try to negotiate you things out of you, and has that led to any mistakes in your entrepreneurial journey? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that sometimes with um, like debt financing, I've been a little too generous. Um, where I think that, I think that um, for example, with debt financing, we've structured a lot of our loans as just traditional loans where it's kind of like a mortgage, right? Where you just pay back principal and interest every month. But I, I've started to think about a more interesting debt financing structure. And we've done this a few times where instead of paying back a set monthly amount, the investor is basically getting a percentage of, for example, the revenue that's collected. I mean, some people call that receivables financing. So... Maybe they would get, for example, 10% of the monthly revenue until they're paid back 120%, for example. You know, because then the startup plan under a lot of stress because the startup only uses its available resources to pay the investor back rather than getting into a situation where maybe it can't meet its debt obligations or it's stressful 
to meet a set obligation. So I think that um, that's one thing that could be structured slightly differently. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. You mentioned something interesting. You kind of just passed over it, but you said that you're lucky enough or skilled enough to have full voting control over your company. I want to focus in on that word skill because a lot of CEOs and founders of startups, you know, they get this idea, they start rallying together a team and then they're expected, you know, like you said, they should probably be called fundraisers on LinkedIn. Um, do you feel like most founders are skilled at fundraising? And if not, like what are some of the big gaps that make founders just like, they're just not very skilled at it. And not really skill, but experience. Like in my first company, I didn't have full voting control. And like a couple of the investors thought I was doing a bad job. It was like two out of the 60 investors thought I was doing a bad job. So they started spreading false information and they wanted to fire me as a CEO. Hmm. And so instead of running the company, I now have to, you know, play politician and, basically defend myself. So I think that um, when you have that kind of experience, you realize that like, well, I don't want to waste time on politics. You know, I'm going to have full control. And if somebody doesn't like that, they don't have to invest in my company. Right. So um, it's just more experience really. Yeah. And I think that makes sense. Um, How do you balance being a full-time fundraiser for your company, but also being a full-time, like you have to run the company. I know like Michael Gerber and the E-Myth, he talks like the famous line from that book is, uh, you know, stop working in your company and start working on your company. So uh, how do you balance leading as a CEO while also having to, you know, keep getting cash into the system to keep the company moving? I mean, ideally... And this is not at the beginning of a company, right? At the beginning of a company, a CEO needs to talk to customers, do lean startup type of things like explore product market fit. You know, maybe they're a software engineer, so they're writing the first version of the product. But like at this stage of Fruit Treats at, it's a little different where we're starting to be like a, you know, a real company, really. Um, And so like the way I think about it is, well, you know, if I can have one phone call with an angel investor or a physician that's willing to invest $150,000, like literally one phone call, one hour long, right? Well, I can spend one hour raising $150,000, which is the salary of like, you know, um, I don't know. I just say, I don't know what she really makes, but you know, our VP of product, right? Like whoever it is or some software engineer or an iOS developer, right? So you are spending one hour, just think about the math, and you are spending one hour to have someone spend, I'm going to call it 60 hours a week in a startup, 52 weeks in a year. You are spending one hour to get someone to spend 3,100 hours Mm -hmm. working on your company. That is a one to 3,100 ratio, right? Pretty good. So my book. Yeah. Yeah. So ideally, ideally as a CEO, you are doing that fundraising and then you are spending a lot of your time hiring talented people and you use the capital to pay those people. (laughs) So maybe it's, you know, 25% of the time fundraising, 25% of the time hiring, you know, 25% of the time steering the ship to make sure that people are working on the right things and 25% closing key customer deals. Maybe the fundraising is a little bit higher than 25%. Maybe it's 50%. I don't know. Um, you know, but the point is, um, the purpose of raising capital is not to store it in the bank. It is to use it to do things like hire talented people to work on the company. Mm-hmm. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Digital Health Entrepreneurship with Lawrence Gerard. 
you haven't already, take a look at some of our other episodes and leave a review on your favorite podcasting platform. We will see you tomorrow on Digital Health Entrepreneurs.